Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Back in the summer when we decided to do Christmas at the movies, I said to Brad, I know exactly which movie we're going to do on Christmas Eve. It's a wonderful life. And uh, some of you who've been coming here for a while know that It's a Wonderful Life isn't just my favorite Christmas movie. It's my favorite movie of all time. Now, I understand there are thousands of movies that have been made over the years, and probably your favorite movie isn't It's a Wonderful Life. But let me tell you why it's mine. I exist for one reason, and that is to help people who don't know about Jesus to know him personally, or those who maybe have heard about him but haven't yet come to know him as Savior and Lord to know him as Savior and Lord. In fact, tonight's take-home point is simply this. A wonderful life begins when we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And for those of you who are new, we have a take-home point every week in our messages. And the point is the one we want you to remember and go out and live out in the week ahead. And I believe with all my heart that when a person comes to know Jesus as Savior, which means the one who saves us from sin and death, and Lord, which means owner, the one who's in charge of our lives, then and only then can a wonderful life begin. And so after somebody comes to know Jesus, Savior and Lord, my goal then is to help that person to grow up to become like Jesus so that on the day when that person faces Jesus face to face at the end of this life, it will be the most wonderful day of eternity. And it's for that reason I've been living for the last 30 plus years as a pastor. And so what that means on most days is I don't know if I made any difference. I, I, you know, I'm not making widgets, so I don't know at the end of the day if I made enough widgets. I'm not really out there to earn money, so I don't know at the end of the day if my profit margin is what it needs to be. At the end of the day, there are a lot of days, and I wonder, did it really matter that I was alive today? Did it even matter that I exist? And if anybody ever understood what it feels like to feel like that, it's George Bailey. George Bailey, who is the central character in It's a Wonderful Life, if you don't know the movie, was a guy who was born in a place called Bedford Falls. And if you don't know what Bedford Falls is like, it's like Saxonburg. Because whenever uh, my brother Ken came out from Harrisburg many years ago, actually probably about 15 years ago, for the Saxonburg Christmas Parade for the very first time, it was one of those Christmas parades when it was actually snowing and it was snow was coming down and he looked down the street with the street lights and he goes, Bedford Falls. And I said, yeah, sort of is, you know. But Bedford Falls was not a big place, not a happening place. But George Bailey, as a little boy, had big dreams. He was going to travel the world. He was going to build skyscrapers. And he was going to make millions of dollars. But the problem for George was that he never got the opportunity to leave Bedford Falls. Every time he was ready to leave, a crisis would come about and he would stay there. And how we find out about George Bailey in the movie as it starts is through a conference that's going on in heaven. It's sort of interesting because they depict angels as these little balls of light and they're traveling all around and they're talking about George Bailey, that this is his crucial night. Because George Bailey, after many, many years of faithfulness and doing the right thing, finds himself in the biggest crisis of his life. That morning, and it was Christmas Eve, that morning, uh, his Uncle Billy, who worked with him, and Bill, Uncle Billy was inept and forgetful, well, he was supposed to take $8,000 from the building and loan over to the bank and deposit it. But instead, 
Uncle Billy is all busy celebrating because George's younger brother Harry is a war hero and he's coming in from Washington, D.C. where he had a meeting with the president that evening. He's coming in and they're all celebrating. It's in the newspaper. And so Billy takes the newspaper and he shows the newspaper to, <coughs> excuse me, to Mr. Potter. And Mr. Potter is the bad guy. Mr. Potter has been trying to put the building in loan to rest for many years. He owns everything. Even, I mean, he mostly owns everything in Bedford Falls except for the building and loan, and he wants to own that. But, but Uncle Billy hands Mr. Potter the newspaper, and unbeknownst to Uncle Billy, inside is the $8,000 deposit. And so Mr. Potter's not a very uh, good kind of a guy. He just keeps the $8,000 because he knows, finally, George Bailey is going to be ruined. And George Bailey finds out from Uncle Billy. He doesn't, Uncle Billy doesn't know where the money is. He, of course, doesn't know that Mr. Potter has it. And so they retrace their steps. They can't find it. And so finally, George goes to Mr. Potter, who he knows is the only guy in town that has $8,000. And he begs Mr. Potter to loan him the $8,000. And Mr. Potter never lets him know he has his $8,000. And so Mr. Potter says, well, if I loan you this money, George, what do you have as collateral? And George says, well, I have a $25,000 life insurance policy. And Mr. Potter says, well, how much cash value? And he says, $500. And Mr. Potter looks George in the eye and he says, George, it seems to me you're worth more dead than alive. And George goes, hmm. And he walks away and he goes and visits his family because he realizes Mr. Potter's right. The only way he's going to come up with $8,000 is if he ends his life. And, and then the $25,000 will come to his family and they'll be able to pay off the money and the, 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 their family won't be disgraced. And so that's his plan. And he visits with his family and that goes really badly. And then he drives out to Mr. Martini's. Um, it's a bar, but it's sort of like a, a friendly kind of bar, you know. And he goes out there. He starts drinking. And while he's drinking, he starts to pray. And he says, God, I'm not a praying man. And the interesting thing is, as he's praying, George isn't the only one praying. In fact, the conference in heaven started because just about everybody in Bedford Falls is praying for George. Mary, his wife, has gone around and called everybody, visited everybody and said, please pray for George. And so this conference is going on in heaven and the chief angel says, we're going to send Clarence. And Clarence is an angel who's been in heaven for 200 years, but he hasn't even earned his wings yet. He's not your most adept angel. So he's sent down with the task of saving George's life. But before he goes down, he gets to watch George's life from the time he's a little boy till he's an adult. We get to watch along as we're watching the movie. And what happens is we see that every time George has a chance to be a hero, every time he has a chance to do the right thing, even though it's the hard thing, he always does it. He saves his brother George's life. When, I mean, Harry's life when Harry was 12 years old. He saves Mr. Gower from going to prison because Mr. Gower, the pharmacist, his son died. And, and so he's trying to fulfill this prescription and he puts poison in it instead of the medicine for diphtheria that this boy needs. And, and of course, George sees it and, and he helps Mr. Gower in that situation. And throughout George's life, he's ready to leave to go on his overseas trip and his dad dies. And so George goes in and he makes this big appeal to keep the saving and loan in business. And the only way they'll do it is if George stays as the general secretary. So he does. And of course, George's life is just lived doing the right thing over and over and over and over again until this day whenever he's desperate. And so George is at this bridge and he's ready to jump in and end his life. And Clarence comes down and Clarence figures out that George is so selfless. The best way to save George's life is to jump in. Because he knows George will forget about killing himself and he'll jump in to save George, which he does. 
or save um, Clarence, which he does. So Clarence and George come out of the water. They go up into the, there's a little house there where the bridge is, and there's a bridge keeper, and there's a stove, and Clarence and George are warming themselves and drying their clothes. And the bridge keeper says to Clarence, how'd you happen to fall in? And that's where we pick up the clip from the movie. How did you happen to fall in? I didn't fall in. I jumped in to save George. You what? To save me? Well, I did, didn't I? You didn't go through with it, did you? Go through with what? Suicide. Oh, it's against the law to commit suicide around here. Yeah, it's against the law where I come from, too. Where do you come from? Heaven? I had to act quickly. That's why I jumped in. I knew if I were drowning, you'd try to save me. You see, you did. And that's how I saved you. Uh, uh, very funny. Your lip's bleeding, George. Yeah. I got a bust in the jaw in answer to a prayer a little bit ago. Oh, no, 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 George. I'm the answer to your prayer. That's why I was sent down here. How'd you know my name? Oh, I know all about you. I've watched you grow up from a little boy. What are you, a mind reader or something? <laughs> well, who are you then? Clarence Oddbody, AS2. Oddbody. AS2, what, what, what's that, AS2? Angel, second class. Cheerio, my good man. say just a minute ago why'd you want to save me that's what i was sent down for i'm your guardian angel i wouldn't be a bit surprised ridiculous of you to think of killing yourself for money eight thousand dollars yeah now think just things like that how do you know that i told you i'm your guardian angel i know everything about you well you look about like the kind of an angel i'd get sort of a fallen angel aren't you what happened to your wings? I haven't won my wings yet. That's why I'm an angel second class. Uh, I don't know whether I like it very much being seen around with an angel without any wings. Oh, I've got to earn them. And you'll help me, won't you? Sure, sure. How? By letting me help you. Yeah. Only one way you can help me. You don't happen to have 8,000 bucks on you. Oh, no, no. We don't use money in heaven. Oh, yeah, that's right. I keep forgetting it. Comes in pretty handy down here, bub. Oh, tut, tut, tut. I found it out a little late. I'm worth more dead than alive. Now, look, you mustn't talk like that. I won't get my wings with that attitude. You just don't know all that you've done. If it hadn't been for you... Yeah, if it hadn't been for me, everybody would be a lot better off. My wife and my kids and my friends and my... Look, little fella, why you go off and haunt somebody else, will no, you? No, now you don't understand. I've got my job. Oh, shut up, will you? Oh, this isn't going to be so easy. Yeah, so you still think killing yourself would make everyone feel happier, eh? Oh, I don't know. I guess you're right. I suppose it'd been better if I'd never been born at all. 
What'd you say? I said I wish I'd never been born. Oh, you mustn't say things like that. You... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's an idea. What do you think? Yeah, that'll do it. All right. You've got your wish. You've never been born. You don't have to make all that fuss about it. So George gets his wish. He gets to see what it would be like if he had never been born. And so Clarence and George, the clothes are dry because they haven't been in the water because George has never been born. George doesn't have a busted lip anymore. He has these little rose petals from his daughter. They're not in there because he was never born. And they go back to town, and it's not Bedford Falls anymore. It's Pottersville. Pottersville, because Potter owns everything now. And instead of the nice little town, you know, like when you walk down the streets of Saxonburg right now and you see all the nice little shops, instead of all the nice little shops, you see all these adult stores. That's what it is in Pottersville. And everything is different. And so George, he wants to go home to his house where he and Mary, his wife, had lived and raised their children. And he goes there and the house is falling down. And then he goes to visit his mother and his mother is has turned her home into a boarding house because she has to raise money just to make ends meet because since her husband died and George wasn't there to be a safety net for his mom, so she's on her own. And Uncle Billy's in an insane asylum. And finally, George asks if he can go and, and see Mary. And, and Clarence doesn't want to let this happen, but finally, George goes and sees Mary, and she's an old spinster librarian. And as George sees all of these things, he realizes that his life did make a difference. And he, he finally, uh, he, he's try, they're trying to arrest him because they think that he's trying to sort of hurt Mary. And so he punches uh, his, his police officer friend and he runs off. And we're going to leave it there. We're going to come back to that in a little bit. But as I watch that movie and as I see it every single time I watch those scenes unfold, I realize how important every single person's life is. You might be sitting in here tonight and you might think, my life doesn't matter. I'm not important. If I had never been born, just like George said, if I had never been born, nobody would notice. That's not the truth. In fact, every single life that has ever lived is significant because every single life that has ever lived has been created by the God of the universe. And there's one life that's more important than all the other lives that have ever been lived here on earth because he is God. And that's why we're here tonight. It's Christmas Eve, and we're celebrating the birth of the one man who makes everybody's birth worthwhile, Jesus Christ. And everybody probably knows that Jesus was born in very humble circumstances 2,000 years ago in a little town called Bethlehem. And his parents were Mary and Joseph, two peasants from Nazareth, and Nazareth is like 100 miles from Bethlehem, and they had to travel there when Mary was nine months pregnant because Joseph was of the house of David, and the, the emperor of Rome at that time had to said that everybody has to go back to the hometown of their ancestors to register for a new tax. And so Mary and Joseph are in Bethlehem, and Mary, this is amazing, Mary is not really married to Joseph. They're engaged. And Mary has been visited by an angel, not Clarence, but Gabriel, the toughest and most important angel there is. And he says that God has found favor with Mary, and so she's going to have a baby, even though she's a virgin. And his name's going to be Jesus, which means Savior, because he's going to save everybody from their sins. And Mary and Joseph are together in this situation, and that very night, Mary gives birth to Jesus. 
And you've all heard the account before. It comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke. And what we're going to do right now is turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, and we're going to see what happens when Jesus has been born and God wants to tell somebody about it. And so here's what happens. It says this. It's Luke chapter 2, verse 8, if you'd like to follow along in your own Bible. It's going to be up on the screen. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherds' story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this account of your son's birth. 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. Tonight, God, I pray that everyone who has heard this account realizes that you came for him or for her, that you came in the man, Jesus Christ, so that you could live and die and rise again, so that each of us in this room tonight could know the life that is truly life, the wonderful life that you have planned for us. By your Spirit, show each of us that tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the angels appeared to shepherds, not to the king in Jerusalem where you would expect the angels to appear, but to shepherds. The shepherds were the most ordinary of ordinary people in Israel. In fact, shepherds, their job was a a little shady in some regards, and so they weren't allowed to give testimony in a court of law. Seems a little odd that God would have his son born and then have angels tell shepherds who couldn't testify about it in a court of law that he'd been born. But these shepherds, we're told that Jesus was in Bethlehem and they were given two ways that they would recognize him. First, he was wrapped in strips of cloth. Well, that would have been not much help at all because every child was wrapped in strips of cloth back in those days. In fact, all that told them was that Jesus was ordinary, just like everybody else. But then they said that that, that their baby would be put in a manger, in a feeding trough for cows. And while they're rolling that around in their brain, trying to figure out why that was going on, all the angels of heaven appeared, the armies of heaven, and they start praising God. They start glorifying God. They say, glory to God in the highest heaven. And then they say this interesting thing. They say, peace on earth with those whom God is pleased. And here's the vital question. With whom is God pleased? With whom is God pleased? Is he pleased with you as you sit here tonight? And I know what a lot of people think. Well, I don't know if he's pleased with me because I don't always do what he says. And I think God would only be pleased with me if I did what he said all the time. And the truth is, God is pleased when we do what he says. But the other truth is, nobody always does what God says. 
That's why Jesus came. Because we're all sinners. We, we, we're told in the book of Romans chapter 5, God showed his great love for us in this, that he sent Jesus to die for us while we're still sinners. He didn't wait till we got to be good people so he could be pleased with us. He was pleased with us because he created us. And all we need to do, all we need to do is to say yes to his offer of coming into our lives and making us a receptacle of the living God of the universe through His Holy Spirit. That's what He wants to do. That's what makes a person's life wonderful. And as we think about that for a moment, God, we are told in John 3.16, which we read this past weekend, loves us so much that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. And God will not, God will not, have even one of his little ones perish. That's not his will or his desire. And so we come back to George Bailey now. And George Bailey is in a situation of desperation. And we may not have been ready to jump off a bridge, but we've all been desperate in our lives. We've all had a situation where we're not sure that what we do matters or that even it matters that we exist. But George Bailey was given an amazing gift. He was given the ability to see what it would be like if he was never born. You see, he was, being a, he was able to see that his life had actually had a ripple effect throughout Bedford Falls, and not just Bedford Falls, because his brother Harry was a war hero because he shot down Japanese planes in the Pacific Theater during World War II and saved thousands of American lives. And so George's non-existence kept any of that from happening. And It's a Wonderful Life is not a Christian film. It's a Wonderful Life simply shows us that every life matters. And so we're going to pick up another clip of the film right now. And George is back at the bridge, but this time he's not ready to jump in. Listen to what happens. I want to live again. Please, God, let me live again. Hey, George! George! You all right? Hey, what's the matter? Now get out of here, Bert, or I'll hit you again. Get out of here. What the Sam Hill are you yelling for, George? You... George? Bert, do you know me? Know you? <laughs> you kidding? I've been looking all over town trying to find you. I saw your car piled into that tree down there, and I thought maybe you... Hey, your mouth's bleeding. Are you sure you're all right? What you... <laughs> My mouth's bleeding, Bert! My mouth's bleeding! Zuzu pedals. Zuzu. There they are! Bert! What do you know about that? Merry Christmas! Well, Merry Christmas. Merry! Merry! Yay! Yay! Hello, Bedford Falls! Merry Christmas! Happy New Year to you, George, in jail, that's what he says. Because Mr. Potter doesn't get it, and George does. George understands that even if he's going to jail, 
It's a wonderful life because he's had the opportunity to live and to love and to serve and to do the right thing. And George understands that even if he's going to go to jail for what happened, and he knows he wasn't in the wrong, but even if he is going to jail, it's still a wonderful life. But the movie doesn't end with George in jail. If you've ever seen the movie, you know that the the movie has a happy ending. George goes back home and he sees his children and he hugs them and he comes downstairs and Mary comes into the house and there's a whole parade following behind him and one has a basket filled with money because the people of Bedford Falls understand something. They understand that George was always there for them. And now in his time of need, they would be there for him. And so they're all putting money in there. And Mr. Martini comes in and he has this money and he pours. He said he opened up the jukebox and took the money out. And and his old maid comes in and pours the money out. And she said she was saving for a divorce if she ever got married. And and then comes in the, the bank examiner. The bank examiner reaches into his pocket and pulls out money and puts it in. And then... Harry, the war hero brother, comes in and he gets a little cup of punch and he raises it and he says, a toast to my big brother George, the richest man in town. And everybody understands George is the richest man in town. Not because of the money he has, but because of what he has done with his life. It's an ordinary life, but a special life nevertheless. And as George is standing there with Mary and little Zuzu hanging on him, a bell rings and, and Zuzu says, teacher says, every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. That's right, and Clarence gets his wings. And George understands what a wonderful life he really had. And, and it's just a movie. And he doesn't know Jesus. And so here we are tonight, you're sitting here tonight, and you know Jesus, and you get to live your life in the power of the Holy Spirit, and maybe you're here tonight and you say, well, I don't know Jesus. I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean, know Jesus? What I mean is, what the Bible says, that God sent His Son Jesus into the world to rescue sinners. That's all of us. And that if we will trust Him as our Savior, which means He saves us from sin and death, as our Lord, He comes in and becomes the owner, then our lives are totally different from that point forward. Because from that moment forward, we have the opportunity to live with the God of the universe inside of us. And some of us doubt that. And actually, those of us who have already trusted Jesus as our Savior and Lord, some days we're not sure that our lives make a difference, that that what we do really matters. And just this afternoon at about 1.23, actually, I was sitting at my table at home and I said to Nancy, I don't even know if what, what, what I'm doing really matters. And I'm not sure that my life is making any kind of a difference And I was very, very upset. And Nancy encouraged me, and she prayed for me. And then I started to realize something. And I asked a simple question. I said, you know, Nance, what happens if 13 and a half years ago we never started New Life? Would there be a church like New Life in Saxonburg? And I don't know the answer to that question. Nobody knows the answer to that question. What I know is I grew up in Gypsy, Pennsylvania, a place that makes Bedford Falls look like New York City. Gypsy is a very small place. In fact, after the third service, this kid came out and he said, you're from Gypsy. I said, yeah. He goes, do you know the Bloses? I said, I know everybody from Gypsy. And he said, well, I used to come there and visit. I said, well, where'd you grow up? He said, Bar Slope. I said, Bar Slope, right outside of Dixonville. He's like, yes. I said, you went to Purchase Line. I said, yeah. And, and, and he said, small world. It is a small world. But there's no such thing as a small person. 
because of what God did in Jesus Christ. And so 13 and a half years ago, God gave an opportunity to two people, one from Crickside or Creekside, however you want to say that, one from Gypsy, who never realized that God would give us the opportunity to do what we've been able to do. And it's not us, it's God in us. And that's the whole point. The whole point is 800 some people came to church tonight in a cornfield. That's what it was 13 and a half years ago. A cornfield. Two years ago today, they built the back walls of this building. And now here we are, worshiping the living God of the universe. And I say, wow, it really is a wonderful life. And we can all have that kind of a life. That's the kind of life we're all supposed to have. George Bailey's wonderful life was live without God for the most part. He only called on God when he was in trouble. What if you intentionally got up tomorrow and the next day and every day for the rest of your life and you asked Jesus Christ to be Lord, to ask him to be in control of your life? What if every single, everybody in this room, all of us woke up tomorrow and lived that way? Well, if that happened, then tonight's commitment would be easy for us because tonight's commitment says, I will celebrate Christmas throughout the year by living with Jesus at the center of my life. You see, a lot of people are going to celebrate Christmas tomorrow. And then tomorrow about this time, they're all going to be sort of, if they're still awake, they're going to be lying back in their couches going, oh, thank God that's over for another year. But that's not how it's supposed to be. Tomorrow night at this time, we can be saying, thank God. Tomorrow I get to wake up again, if he's willing, and I get to serve him again. The God of the universe who came in the flesh and the little baby Jesus who grew up to be the man Jesus who died on the cross and rose again from the dead so that everybody in this room and everybody in this world can have a truly wonderful life. That's what we're intended to do. That's how we're intended to live. There is no more wonderful life than living your life for Jesus. And that may mean... I don't know what it'll mean for you. I know one thing it'll mean. It means when you go back to school at the beginning of the year, you'll have more influence than you've ever had in your life if you haven't been using the influence in your school. It means when you go back to work, whether it's tomorrow, the next day, whenever you go back to work, that you'll have more influence at work than you've ever had before because you haven't had the power of God working in your life. And if you already have, just keep doing it. Because Christmas is not a once-a-year event that we put back in the box with the light bulbs and the, you know, the ornaments. Christmas is an everyday event that we get to experience because whether we know it or not, it really is a wonderful life. Thanks to Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, who became flesh so that we could become one with him now and forever. Let's pray. Almighty God, I thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you that he came into this world that was filled with sin and darkness and he brought light and life. I thank you that tonight that everyone here who already knows Jesus can have a wonderful life every single day of our lives. And even when it's hurtful and even when it's painful and even when we're experiencing loss and we're desperate and we need $8,000 or $80,000, that you're still with us. And God, I pray for anyone in this room tonight who hasn't yet said yes to Jesus as Savior and Lord, that that would come right now. That that person would simply say, Jesus, yes, come into my life. Be my Savior and Lord. Take over so I can know the life that's truly life, not just for now, but forever. And I can have the wonderful life that you have for me. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.